right. Good morning, church. How are we doing? I just checked our parking lot. We'll be handing out snorkels uh, as you leave here. You might want to hike. Uh, if, you, if you're not wearing flood pants already, Grant always wears those. Yeah, you might want to pull those pants up a little high because it is way deep in water out there. So just do your best to get to your car. Uh, so I don't know where you're joining us. If you're joining us online, it might be beautiful where you are. We're having uh, storms, thunderstorms, a lot of rain. It makes things really, really pretty here, but uh, also makes for a mess with our parking lot, um, which we're working on. So uh, super glad that you're here. If you're, if you're a guest or a visitor or someone invited you to join us online, we are so, so excited. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we are just excited to do this every single morning. Now, I, I will say this. If we're not careful, this can become a rut right? If we're not careful, wouldn't it be cool if we worshiped with thunder every Sunday? Like, that is cool. I can't tell if it's Ethan's bass or if it's thunder, but um, as long as there's not lightning hitting uh, during the message, then that's good. But nevertheless, we'll work through it. Uh, but I, I realize this, if we're not careful, what we do here on Sundays, gather, worship, grab a cup of coffee, sit at a table, sing some songs, uh, focus our attention on the Lord. If we're not careful, that can become routine. And I don't know about you, that's a risk that we all take, especially for those of us who are, are trying to make sure we're at church every single Sunday as often as we possibly can. But it can start to become routine. And I just want to remind us before we jump into the Holy Scriptures, this is anything but routine. Everything that we do here, this, is, this could not be the farthest thing from routine. Because what we do here matters. It matters to the kingdom at large, but it matters to you and your relationship with God. And that's what strengthens the kingdom of God. What we're going to talk about this morning as we get ready to jump in is Titus is getting ready to close out this epistle. I should say Paul is getting ready to close out this epistle to Titus. And what we're going to hear is be careful about certain things as you go about the church. That's, that's what we're going to see here shortly. And if we look at it on face value, we can go yada, 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 let's move on. Don't argue about this. Yeah, yeah, where do we get to the good stuff? I think it's important that we do that. Why? Because it protects what we're doing here. It protects the foster care Christmas party in July. It protects our work down in Juarez. It protects our life groups. It, it, it protects community that we're trying to rebuild. Why is that important? Because the enemy is on the prowl. And he wants to do everything he can to stop what's happening in churches all around the world. He certainly used COVID to do that. Now he's using post-COVID to do that. But sometimes we're our worst enemies. We fight and argue amongst ourselves. And so Paul gives us some warnings on how to avoid some of those things. And then he's going to wrap it all up with a real neat bow at the end. And so we're going to jump into that this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Titus chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can open those, lay them on the, the tables there. I just want to encourage you. I know the cool thing is phones. I know the cool thing is, is tablets. I just want to keep pushing you. This is not a uh, letter of the law. This is not uh, trying to to impose things on you, but there's something very powerful about having the Word of God spread out on your table, mark it up with pens, pencils, highlighters, etc., in a way that digital just can't do. So no offense to you if you're using digital, I just want to encourage you, go home, find your Bible, and bring that on Sundays. So Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 9, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. It'll be on the screen here if you're joining us here. It's also going to be on your television screen if you're joining us online. Here's what the end of this epistle says. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once, and then twice, having nothing more to do with him, know that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tuikas to you, 
do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Must have been a really nice area. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. We talked about that the last several weeks. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send their greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Love, Paul. I threw that last part in there, but love, Paul. That is the word for us in the Lord. You may have a seat. The reason why we stand just as a a continue um, reminder is we hold the word of God at, at the highest value. Why? Because this establishes everything for us as we live this world. The the Word of God establishes truth. The Word of God establishes government. The Word of God establishes how we interact with each other relationally. The Word of God establishes how marriage is supposed to be profitable and strong. The Word of God exposes us to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and his name is Jesus. That's why we stand for the Word of God. And this Titus. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul. If you're, if you're new to the Bible, new to church, or it's been quite some time, just a quick little recap on Titus, especially if you're joining us uh, for this last week. Uh, he's writ- writing this uh, epistle, which just means a short letter, to his disciple, which is Titus. They've done a bunch of church planning. They've done a lot of ministry together. And he's written this to his friend Titus to help him organize churches on the island of Crete. It's about, uh, it's, it's just kind of southeast of kind of Italy and Greece in that kind of general area. Beautiful, beautiful area. And the people of Crete are kind of hard to deal with. They're lazy, they're gluttons, um, they're, there's uh, constant political uh, rivalry going on, uh, and it's just not a great place to try and run church. Uh, and so he's trying to encourage his buddy. And to begin the letter, Paul addresses the leadership within the church. That's the beginning part, chapter one. If you turn to that, you can see that, uh, that he establishes the leadership that each church would have multiple pastors or elders, if you would, to help govern, to to care for the flock, uh, to protect the church, and also to make sure that there aren't false teachings going on throughout these churches. And then Paul covers the role of church members, encouraging them to share in the gospel, i.e. discipleship and evangelism. In other words, everyone has a role in what we do as uh, a church. And then finally, in the third chapter, the apostle discusses how the church should function as a whole and in general. And so what we're going to do is kind of navigate some of these waters together. And again, at the end, find out what exactly does this mean for you and I, regardless of where you're at with God, regardless of what kind of relationship you have with him. If you're in a place where you're questioning, if you're in a place where you're far from him, or it's been quite some time, you just need to know both in this room and online, you're welcome here. This is the perfect place to ask questions, to wonder, and to begin to ask God to reveal himself to you. Now, in contrast to the profit of sharing the gospel, we talked about this last week, last week, how profitable it is to share the gospel, Paul turns to a warning now of worthless, foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. So at first glance, not a very uplifting Sunday, But this is how Paul chose to wrap up his letter. This is how we're wrapping it up. So let's briefly examine the examples of these unprofitable items. If if you're at a table and there's a notebook, don't steal your neighbors. But if there's uh, a notebook not being used, that's for you. If you don't have one, you can grab that. You can take notes on it. There's going to be four points that we look at here. And it would be important to write these down both in your Bible or in the notebook. First... Foolish controversies are arguments and disagreements that lack from wisdom. Now, here's what's great about this. You can apply this certainly to the scriptures of what we're talking about. This can be applied anywhere in life. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can apply this. Foolish controversies and arguments and disagreements are are those that result from lack of wisdom. So if you go, well, why are we nitpicking? Why are we fighting? Why are we backbiting? It's because someone's not being wise. If you want to make it even more difficult, someone's not being adult in the room. 
You ever have those situations where maybe there's disagreements and stuff, and you're like, someone needs to stand up and be the adult here. Whether it's at your job or at church or between you and your spouse, like someone's got to be the adult here. We've got to stop this because we're acting like juveniles. Well, Paul says those things happen when we lack wisdom. The book of Proverbs is clear that true wisdom comes from the Lord. And foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. Notice that there isn't much wiggle room. Just like if you're following Jesus or not following Jesus, you're either being led by wisdom that comes from the Lord or you're being led by foolishness that comes from this world. There really is no in-between there. And because of that, foolish controversies are against God's wisdom. This is important to remind yourself. Will and Hannah are brand new married. Look at them back there. See their smiles? Wow. Aw. Isn't that so nice? Let's just stare at Will for a second. Now this is important, right? Because if you start to have disagreements and dissension and controversy in your marriage, you got to look at each other and go, time out. Brian warned us about this. Let's stop this right now. It's the same thing in life. There's this old adage of, of, of church, churches, and some of you maybe have been a part of this, is churches for years have divided against uh, organ, no organ. Uh, lights on, lights off. It's like wax on, wax off. Uh, uh, volume of worship, color of the carpet, color of how we paint the walls. Churches have divided, and even it gets worse, churches have gone to war, physical war, over even less than that. That's the epitome of not diving in and grounding yourself in God's wisdom. There are foolish controversies worthless to divide over. In fact, this is great. Uh, do you guys know the word moron? Don't point to someone. The word moron derives from this exact Greek word foolish right here moron. And Paul wants to make sure that churches know that moronic arguments are never worth it. They don't go anywhere. They're ridiculous. It's a waste of time to fight over most things that churches fight over. Now you say, well, there are some reasons to fight. Yeah, Yes, we, if we get into theology, if we get into scripture, if we get into those things, yes. But most of what churches will rub shoulders against in a friction way, according to Paul, are moronic. Second, Paul warns against genealogies. It's likely tied to the circumcision party of the day that was discussed in chapter 1 because the Judaizers... The Judaizers argue that Christians must become Jewish through the circumcision before becoming a Christian. Now, we could look at that and go, that's ridiculous, and I would wholeheartedly agree. But the reality is we do that as well. We say, well, if you want to be a real Christian, you've got to take your hat off coming into the sanctuary. Sorry, don't see that anywhere. Feel free to wear a hat. Well, if you're, if you're a real Christian, if you're going to be a part of the church, dress nice coming to church. Sorry, don't see that. Sorry, if you're a real Christian, you'll sit in rows, not in tables. <laughs> don't see that. <laughs> we judge. We judge people all the time. And we put conditions on faith. We say, well, to be a Christian, you have to understand everything in the Bible. Thank God that doesn't exist. To be a Christian, you have to agree with everything, every single theology that's presented in Scripture. Not true. Uh, in order to be a Christian, you've got to well articulate that to your neighbor and also live sin-free. Not true. We do this. We've done this as the church for centuries. We've imparted our desires for Christ followers onto everyone else when that was never a part of it. We, we just sang this song, and, and Alex reminded us, what, what does Jesus say? What are the two greatest commandments? To number one, love your God. Number two, love your neighbor. What falls underneath those? Everything. Everything falls under those. And yet what we like to do 
is grab some of our pet things and place them above. And Paul says, if you want to protect the church, don't fall into these things. Don't fall into these petty arguments. Don't fall into genealogies. Don't, don't fall into these controversies because all they're going to do is rob you of what God has for you. Focus on what matters. Number three, dissensions differ from controversies in that there is a more malicious flavor behind it. Sit just with us, me a second on this. Where controversies are often foolish and unwise, and they are, dissensions are in, an intentional breakup of the church. We've seen this. We've seen this since the beginning of the Reformation. Church after church after church, denomination after denomination after denomination, style after style after style, split, split, split. That's what we have seen. We have more churches, more denominations, more styles than we know what to do with. That's not altogether bad, trust me. We, we have had some incredible churches come about. But because, why? Because God is faithful. Not because they're creative. Not because we are creative. But they've been successful because God is good at what he does. But there's also been some real hurt that's come about that as well. Christians that don't talk to each other anymore. People that used to serve arm in arm together because of a, a disagreement on how the church might function don't even look at each other anymore. That's nothing new to us. Paul knows this. Paul knows that the church in Crete is subject to this if they're not careful, which is why he chose to do this last. Paul is warning that the division of the churches into Factions that splintered then into smaller churches failed to desire a gospel-centered unity in God's presence. Why is that important? Because number four, quarrels about the law were also the specialty of the Judaizers. How's that? Like, if someone says, hey, what is Alan? Alan's my bald brother back there. Wave, Alan. Yep, he's follically challenged as well. So if, if Alan, if I go, well, how's Alan known? Well, you know what Alan's really good about? Pointing people at the law and judging them. He is so good at it. He can just criticize you to, to you, you don't even realize what's happening and you feel an inch tall. He's amazing at that. That's not how you want to be known. And yet, at this time, on Crete, these Judaizers were known as this was their specialty. Look at the law, look at the law, look at the law, look at the law. Make sure the law says this, make sure the law says that. Romans chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9 provide a, a detailed look at Paul's answers to quarrels about the law. These quarrels are not in regard to things like the Ten Commandments, and, and what we ought to do, the quarrels are, as a Christian, can I? As a Christian, can I drink alcohol? As a Christian, can I watch R-rated movies? As a Christian, can I be on social media? As a Christian, can I vote Republican? As a Christian, can I vote Democrat? As a Christian, can I not vote? As a Christian, uh, can I have anger in my heart? These are the questions that are coming about, and they're wondering, can I still be a Christ follower and still do this? And the Judaizers are the ones that are going, you had better watch your step, you had better march to this beat, because because that's how you lo are loved by God. Raise your hand if you have felt that in the modern church ever. Raise your hand high. That like, do this to be loved. Look around, keep your hands up, look around. That's the problem. That's one of the problems with the church today. Instead of saying no matter who walks through our doors, we will love them and encourage them and stand by them, we say you have to march to this beat first. 
let me get a little uncomfortable. Somebody walks in with their partner and sits at your table and, and they want to engage with you, them and their partner. Are you okay with that? Somebody walks in high as a kite or drunk, sits down at your table and starts to engage with you. Are you okay with that or do you go up and go to another table? Uh, somebody walks in, you know it, you know their life, and they've just had an affair, and they, and they want to stay in that affair, and they walk in and sit down at your table. Are you okay with them sitting there? Uh, somebody walks in, they stub their toe, and they go, ah, sheesh, sheesh, sheesh. You okay with them sitting at your table? We all want to nod yes. I want to dig into your heart. Because I'd be willing to say a lot of you are not okay with that. But guess what? The, what? What Paul is saying is no matter who walks through those doors, no matter what they look like, no matter what they act like, no matter how they sound, no matter what they uh, smell like, they are welcome here and they are loved by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. No holds barred. You say, well, don't we eventually get to the point where we disciple them? Heavens, Yes. But you don't teach a newborn how to ride a bike. You let them grow into that. And then you go through that miserable experience of teaching a child how to ride a bike and you try not to cuss. That's just the reality. But often what we will do and what was, what was a risk in these times is baby Christians being grabbed by others and saying, you will act like this. Hogwash. How about they just rest in God's love? How about they just wrap their minds around God loves me? I don't even understand that, but God loves me? Yes. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're in this room or you're watching online, if you've ever experienced that where, where fingers are pointed at you and you've been told you've got to check off all of these boxes in order to be, quote, the Christian you're welcome here. You're loved here. You're embraced here. You're family immediately here. Yes, with all of your questions, with all of your doubts, with all of your struggles, and yes, with all of your lifestyle, you don't have to check that at the parking lot and leave it in your car. You can bring that in and set your suitcase of junk right beside you. And here's what you won't see, but it's present. Everyone else in this room has a suitcase right next to them. And we got our stuff. And you are welcome. And I want to shout that from, from the oldest of the old to our youngest of the young in that room. You are loved by the living king. You don't even need to understand that. You just need to hear it. Because it's truth. You are loved, you are loved, you are loved. God has a plan for you. He desires a relationship with you. He wants to bring healing and hope into your life. Not rule following, not checking off the boxes, but being embraced by the, by the God of all creation who makes every raindrop fall. He loves you. And this causes us to question then, what exactly do we make mountains of? Because there's some things that we're supposed to make a mountain of, and then there's other things that are just hills. Just let them go. Some things that we need to fight for, other things that we just need to agree to disagree. And, and Alicia did such a, a, an incredible job. She does every single Sunday. Uh, pause. Don't pause the recording, but pause sermon here for a second. I just want to give a, a, a quick commercial. You're invited every single Sunday to join us here for prayer at 915. We pray, we pray. Alicia leads us in a brief devotional, and then we pray. I want to invite you to be a part of that. Um, yeah, I'm just going to deviate for a second. So our Spanish church that meets here every Wednesday night, uh, they begin for the first 40 minutes, 
it's kind of a jazzercise prayer time uh, in here. So it's, it's not stationary, it's movement. Um, so count your steps, which is really nice. But they also get together in Commerce City and they pray every single Saturday morning from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Every single Saturday. The entire church. They texted me this week and they said, we're praying for you and Alex all day. You ever have someone that says, I'm praying for you, and you know they're not? Are we okay with saying that in church? Like, hey, I'll be praying for you. No, you won't, but God love you. All right? When they say, hey, we've been praying for you all day, I'm like, yep, they have been. At their prayer meeting uh, a couple weeks ago on a Saturday, in walks this gentleman, disheveled, confused, doesn't really know why he's there, and they're like, can we help you? And he's like, yeah. I'm not a believer, but I was at home, I cried out for God and said, God, help me. If you're out there, help me. Please help me. And he gave me this address. <laughs> Gets better. Says, he gave me this address. I have no idea why I'm here. And they say, well, we're a church. We're praying. Do you want to join us? Yes, absolutely. He accepted Christ that day. That was on Saturday. On Sunday, he went to church. Then he showed up here. They were having a, a huge, I'm sorry, let me backtrack. Saturday night, uh, they were having a huge birthday party here. And he drives up from South Denver and walks in the door and they're like, you're the, you're the guy from this morning. He's like, yep, can I come to the party? <laughs> Nothing like inviting yourself. And they said, yeah, come on in. So he enjoys the whole party, goes to church the next day. That following Wednesday, here at our church, he walks in with his family, his wife and his kids, and he's actually at this table right here, Scott and Shannon's table, he's sitting right there, and his hands up, and him and his wife are praising Jesus, and he just doesn't know why, he just knows he's loved. Friends, that's the power of prayer. That's, that's why Paul says, protect this at all costs, because that's what God does. Bless you. That's, that's what God does in our midst. He loves people right where they are. And he says, look, you, you right here, you just sit quietly, and I just want you to know, if you are far from God and he, you don't even know him, even right now, he is moving around this room and he is touching and speaking to each and every one of you. He's, he's encouraging, he is loving, he's reaching out. And so right now, you are being loved. Just receive that. Just receive that he loves you. And Paul, Paul lists these four things and he calls them unprofitable and worthless. Be careful as a church. Do not walk into these waters that are unprofitable and worthless in contrast, if you would, to the gospel's excellency and profitability. There is such a difference there that the gospel is excellent and brings life and loves. And these four things, and there's more, and I'm sure he just wanted to keep it short, but there's more. These other things, they're worthless and unprofitable. And I think that a church that insists upon the gospel, and we do at Rock Creek Church, where we're not perfect, I'm not perfect, Alex is not perfect, our elder board is not perfect, newsflash, none of you are perfect, but we do focus on the gospel. And a church that is focused on the gospel cannot be distracted and guided by these four things. If we drop our eyes from the gospel and start looking at other stuff, then we can become distracted. And we can fall into these worthless things. Likewise, a church that is filled with foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law cannot be a church that emphasizes the gospel. You cannot do both. You can't get so focused. And when we talk about genealogies, basically what he's talking about is, well, um, it'd be like my sons grow up and go, well, they're hazes, so they get special treatment. They get to like, I don't know what special treatment around here would be. They get to go first in the potluck you know, uh, or, or they get the prime seat, or I, I don't know what it would be. But nevertheless, because of their genealogy, they're treated differently. Well, that, the reason why I'm struggling is because we don't have that a whole lot, but back then it was. 
if your forefathers had grown up in that region, in that church, in that first and second, third century church, you were known, you were treated differently than someone who was a brand new Christ follower. But a church that's filled with all of these things cannot be focused on the gospel. It's not possible. Why? Because we're distracted. But the good news is that these four things and the gospel are mutually exclusive. That is not to say that these four things won't come up occasionally. They will. In this church, in other churches, long after we're gone, these things will certainly come up. We're sinners. But if we find ourselves guilty of them, in other words, if we're in a meeting, we're in a conversation, we go, uh, and God kind of gives you an aha moment, then it's on us to repent and change our direction, change our conversation. And what happens for a lot of churches that run into horrible situations is they know they're in there, but no one's willing to pull the emergency brake. And that's what all of us combined we need to do. Why is that important? Because churches die long before they close their doors. Long before there's a firing, long before there's a church split, certainly long before they shut the doors, it's already dying. It's similar to, you know, a, a, a patient who has been feeling something weird in their body and they, get, they put it off a year or two and then they finally come and they go, wow, you're so far gone, there's nothing that we can do. Well, that's been happening for a while and that's the risk for churches, But again, going back now to what Paul's heart is, it could be captured in this sentence. If we set ourselves on doing the work of the gospel, we won't have time to get into foolish controversies with one another. If our lives are focused on the gospel, both here and at home, if we're focused on Christ and what he wants for us, we don't have time to bicker. Someone says, I wanted to put uh, the check-in table here. I want it over here. Well, if we're not focused on the gospel, then that becomes a thing. Oh, we changed our entry. Well, that should not matter, but if we're not focused on the gospel, the new entry could become an issue. We have our new building let me give you a little vision here. This, if you're new around here, this room is gonna be our new kids' worship area. Imagine that. Imagine 100 plus kids in here jumping around, going crazy, and some poor adult being in charge of them. <laughs> Picture that. We're recruiting you. Now, it's gonna be incredible, but we're, we're building a, a brand new building on the front that will be our new worship center. Well, if we're, not fo if, if we're not focused on the gospel, then all of a sudden paint color and chair location and bathrooms and what tile and, and who put this where, all of a sudden that becomes a thing and it's silly and it's worthless, Paul says. You know, so much of our disagreements and tension in the church are absolutely a waste of time. Just a waste. But the Bible says, and Paul certainly pushes us here, if we're focused on the gospel, we can't be a part of that. We're too busy saving people. We're too busy sharing the hope. We're too busy excited for what God's doing. If we're not doing that, then we have idle time, and now all of a sudden we're picking on things. And as for Rock Creek Church, we won't do that. Uh, the Apostle Paul in verse 10 turns his attention to those who stir up division. How many of you have ever known someone that just wherever they go, they stir up division? Raise your hand. It's okay. I mean, you're, not, you're not saying it's you, right? The chosen language of stirring gives us this idea of the type of person that Paul has in mind. Disunity is their aim and their goal just what they do. Now, we don't be too harsh on them because that's just their sin coming out. You have yours. For this particular person who just comes and stirs dissension and division, that's just their sin coming out. But because of this, it's important for us to know church discipline 
and confrontation should only come uh, when it's creating this deep division within God's church. That's a huge umbrella, no pun intended for outside, but it is, that is a huge umbrella of, of how do the elders, how do the pastors come in and confront? How do we do church discipline? And he says, after two warnings, have nothing more to do with him or her. Let me just say this. This might be controversial, but I, I do believe it. One of the reasons why churches at times can go into some really bad, bad places is we don't want to be hard on people because this is church. So what that means is we know someone's having an affair and we go, well, who are we to judge? Well, the Bible says we are. We're to confront we're to confront bad behavior. We're to confront gossip. We're to confront those things that splinter the church. And, and because we hold off and we let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go, now it's become something so enormous, now we can't step into it. Does that make sense? It's not easy. I, I'm not in any way saying it's easy. But the Bible also says if you're loved, you will be disciplined. If you love another, you'll reveal to them. If, I, if I'm with, with Paul and I see Paul with, with a certain action or attitude or behavior and I'm seeing it over and over and over, what kind of friend would I be if I didn't reveal that to Paul? And have him go, how long have you felt this? Oh, I've been kind of feeling, I don't know, like a couple, you know, 10 years or so. Well, at some point, Paul should look at me and go, why didn't you say something? If you thought that and felt that, why, if you love me, why wouldn't you bring that to light? So why would God sanction such a hard and harsh practice? The question is, isn't discipline unloving? The short answer is no. Many writers such as Mark Denver and R.C. Sproul are quick to point out that discipline is characteristic of a healthy church because it calls the other to repent and warns the other person about the dangers of sin. And it also defends holiness. This is why it's important. This is why Paul throws it in there at the end. It's actually an act of love. We don't view it that way in our culture, but that's what it's intended for. Jesus himself outlines the plan for how a church should practice discipline. Matthew chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 15. It's also going to be on the screen and on your television sets at home. Here's what he says. If another believer sins against you, notice another believer. He doesn't say if your neighbor who doesn't even know who God is, they don't need you to go correct them. In other words, someone's not living a lifestyle you agree with, no one cares. Keep it to yourself. But if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offense. If the, also notice this, it doesn't say call up Marge and gossip about it. That's what we do. Instead of going right to the person, we tell another our accountability partner, our prayer partner. Stop it. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, then you have won that person back. In other words, health and good has happened. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you, go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. That's healthy. That is protecting peace in God's church. Practice this. Go to one person, share it with them. They don't receive it, grab myself, grab one of the elders, grab another friend sitting next to you and go make sure that they're really hearing you in a way that's loving. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. In other words, bring it before the pastors and the elders. Say, hey, I'm having this problem with so-and-so. They're just not hearing it. I want to serve Cheerios to the kids. They want to give donuts. I hate them for it. Would you help us figure this out? That's a great problem, by the way. 
Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Tax collectors just must have been shady back then. In other words, it says do everything possible to protect unity, do everything you can to restore relationships, but there does get to the point where if you can't, you can't. Notice that Jesus is not promoting any degree of physical abuse, so I don't want any of you going and grabbing anyone today, okay? Or even verbal discipline. He just says, teach the unrepentant like a non-believer if they refuse to repent. But it's always rooted in love. Always. It's always wrapped in love. Uh, Also pay attention to Jesus' order. It is not the role of a pastor or a leadership to go and make things right with another person. That's on you. That's your job. Now, you could say people in the church, but it's bigger than people in the church. It's your dad. It's your mom. It's your sister that you haven't spoke to in years. It's your buddy that you hold that grudge against. You are called to go and try and make things right. You say, well, I've tried. Great. There's nowhere in the scripture that says keep trying until it's made right, but do your best. And the question is, are you doing your best? That's the question. Are you doing everything that's within you to create, as 1 Corinthians says, our ministry of reconciliation, both in and outside of the church? Paul closes out this letter to Titus with a few personal addresses to him. And it leaves Paul to give one final exhortation of what? The importance of good works. The emphasis within these verses is clearly upon providing for others, whether by financial help or other spiritual gifts. So why does Paul, he could say anything as he wraps this up. Why does Paul at the very end of Titus, the very end, the last words he wants to speak to his pal Titus, why does he feel the need to reemphasize the need for good works in the second to last verse of the chapter? And it's to help cases of urgent need and to not be unfruitful. We are supposed to be people that are willing to make sure needs are met. That's how the church was known at the very beginning. No one would touch the lepers. No one would touch those who couldn't walk. No one would touch the blind. No one would touch the filthy, and Christians would go out to the gates, scoop those individuals up at great risk to themselves, hug them, bring them back to their house, feed them, nurture them, and nurse them back to health. And that's how Christians became known. Where you can help, help. Where you can serve another, serve. Serve to the point where it's sacrificial to you. You have to miss something. You have to do without something. You have less money. You have less time. You have less energy. You have less power. Even within you, serve where there's a need. I say this all the time with Lori Russo. She just pours herself out till she is beyond the letter E on the gas tank. And and that's what we're called to do. Where you can love the unlovely, love them. Don't just love the people who it's easy for you to love. Maybe it's someone at your table. Maybe it's a family member at home. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a roommate. Where you can provide hope for the hopeless. Give hope, true hope. And this is what we do. This is why we exist. This is who we are as Christ followers. I'm gonna invite you to stand. This is a rough world that we live in. 
It's a rough world. You turn on the news for, for any number of minutes and you can see how difficult this world is. But friends, don't hibernate. As risky as it is, as tempting as it is, as wonderful as it sounds, don't hibernate away from the world. That's cheap grace. That's cheap discipleship. Don't remove yourself in the world. Why? Because Christ did not remove himself from you. He looked at you and said, that's horrible. No offense. That's dirty. That's broken. That's horrific. I don't know what I can do with that. I know I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. I'm not going to back away from that person. I'm not going to disassociate from that person. I'm not going to hibernate in the heavenly realms away from that person. I'm going to enter into the horrificness of earth, and I am going to save. And when Jesus says, drop your nets and follow me, that's what he's talking about. Don't back away. Engage. Engage with friends. Engage with family. Engage with those people who don't think like you, who don't reason like you, that don't have the same morals at you, that don't have the same ethics at you, uh, of you. But God loves them. Engage, engage, engage. All through this letter, Paul says, Christians must live in the world in a way that commends Jesus. That's our call. Those are our marching orders. And one of the great reasons why we gather in a room like this and we have an online platform so that you friends can join us is because those marching orders are hard and they're scary and they're intimidating but that's our job. And you are not alone. You are loved. This God who knows every raindrop, he knows every flower, he knows every sunset, he placed every star in the sky, he created everything and that which we have no idea about, he is the author and the perfecter. And that God is crazy about you. He's nuts about you. He would go to the extent to give up his own son to die a horrific death on the cross because he loves you that much. Embrace that today. Receive that today. And if you are someone who is far from God, if you are someone who has never given your life to Jesus Christ, if, if you've never opened your hands and said, I don't quite understand it all, but I want your love, I receive your love, I'm gonna invite you this morning to pray with me. So just close your eyes. Uh, you don't have to bow your head, that's an old school thing, but just close your eyes just for a moment. If that's you, if you're joining us online or you are in this room and you're like, man, I've known about God for quite some time. I've heard about God for quite some time. I've been exposed to church. I've been exposed to the scriptures, but I still have a lot of questions. I want to say, that's okay. You say, well, I still have doubts. I still have struggles. And I want to say, that's okay. So did the disciples. But if you're here this morning and you want to receive God's love, if you want to receive his forgiveness of your sin, that the only way, the Bible says, can turn your heart of stone to a heart of flesh, then I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And it doesn't matter if you're super young or super old, there is never a day that is not a great day to give your life to Jesus Christ. And may today, amidst the storm, amidst the clouds, amidst the rain, may today be the day that you receive the love of your God and King. Is it all because of a prayer? No, but it's the beginning part. And then we'll help you. We'll disciple you. We'll come alongside you. If you're online, we'll make sure we get you the resources that you need to help you in your faith. 
And so pray with me if, if that's you and you want to receive that for the very first time. It's just a very simple prayer. God, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I receive your love. I still have a lot of questions. I, I, I maybe have uh, hurt, but I receive your love. I have a lot of doubts, but I receive your love. I want your forgiveness. I want to be forgiven of sin. And I want to begin today, whatever that kind of looks like, I want to begin a relationship with you so that I can live life with you here but also know that my eternal destiny is secure. And so that's my prayer this morning. And if you're here and you've been far from God, you've kind of walked away, you've been kind of lukewarm and you want to reestablish that, I'm going to invite you just to pray a simple prayer that kind of hits the reset button. Praise God for reset buttons. Kind of the old PC control delete. It resets things. Just pray this prayer with me. God, I've walked away with you. I've, I've, I've just been distant. We haven't spent time together. Uh, I haven't been in your word. I haven't really been praying. I've kind of been doing my own thing. But man, I want today to be an, a new day. I want to, today to be a new start. And so please forgive me for my sins. Please forgive me for kind of being distant from you. I, I want to come back. I want to come back into your open arms and receive your embrace today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you're online and you prayed either one of those prayers, I'm gonna encourage you to shoot me a quick email. It's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at rockcreekchurch.org. Just let me know what decision you made, how I can come alongside you, how we can get you resources and encourage you in that decision, whatever it might have been. If you're here in this room and, and you prayed that prayer, I'm gonna ask kind of an audacious ask here is sometime after the service, you just come and let me know. We can go out for lunch, we can go out for coffee. I, I can surround you with resources and we just wanna help you, whether that is a first time decision or a coming back decision. We just wanna walk alongside you. That's your step for the rest of you. Walk in this truth that God loves you that he cares so much about you, that this isn't a game, that he has a week waiting for you, and he's at work. Join him and see the adventure that waits for you. Let's worship together.